0: Hello, and welcome to this month's Addiction Audio episode. Recently, the journal had our European Editors' Meeting at Cumberland Lodge in Windsor Great Park, just outside London. During the meeting, I took the opportunity to speak to Editor-in-Chief of the journal, Professor Robert West. We discussed something quite important to us at this journal, but surprisingly tricky to pin down. What is addiction? How does this relate to individuals, to research and to the journal? I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm joined today by Professor Robert West, who's the editor of the journal Addiction, and we're going to talk about the concept of addiction itself. So I'm going to start with a very simple question. What is addiction? Yeah,
1: thank you. And like so many simple questions, it has a potentially complex answer, but it's not an impossible one. Uh, The reason it's complex is that, quite legitimately, people take different views on what they mean by addiction. It's a socially defined construct. So it's not like an elephant or a rhinoceros. You could point to it and say, well, that's one thing and that's another. So we have to recognise that any debate about addiction has to be not what is addiction, but how do we want to think about addiction and for what purpose. In the old days... People thought about addiction as a physiological dependence on a drug such as barbiturates or opiates so that uh, if you stop taking it you experience a withdrawal syndrome and you would treat addiction by helping people to get over that withdrawal syndrome. Now, we don't think of it like that anymore. And the reason for that is that that is actually not really such a big problem. We can tackle that quite easily. The problem that addicts face is that they find it very, very difficult to control their behavior. So there's an element there of uh, it being a behavioral disorder. And that's how we now think about it. So the kind of definition that I think works quite well is something like this. That addiction is a chronic Disorder, it's not normal, which is manifest by a powerful repeated motivation to engage in a particular behavior, injecting drugs, gambling, whatever it might be, with harmful consequences. And that that behavior is learnt through experience. In other words, you're not born with it. And so we, we can differentiate addiction from normal things that we have powerful motivations to do, like breathing um, or eating. Um, and we can also um, make sure that we we capture the element that the reason we're interested in it is because it's harmful. If it weren't harmful, it would be a compulsion. It would be something we might want to do a lot, uh, but we wouldn't be too worried about it. And at the risk of rambling on a little bit about it, the, the, the reason for focusing on this definition Is that the the purpose of it is to bring it within the field of treatment and prevention in public health and in medicine. And that's really important because if you if you think of these behaviors purely as something that people can choose to do or not to do, then the way that you would control it is purely by punishment and reward, the sort of things that affect everyone's behaviour. But we know that that's not enough. We know that we can save a lot of lives and do a lot of good by treating it as a disorder.
0: How much agreement is there between researchers about how we think about addiction? So I know that some people think of it as a brain disease. Some people think of it as sort of a choice that people have, people have started down this road to addiction by first starting to use a drug, and therefore, there's some element of control available. How, how much agreement is there in terms of defining addiction and how it operates?
1: I think, funnily enough, that there's actually more agreement than it appears from discussion in the literature. To give you the, the, the classic one debate that's going on at the moment about is addiction a brain disease, that sounds like a, quite a, a sort of strong statement addiction is a brain disease, and it is. If you say addiction is only a brain disease and it's not anything else, it's perfectly possible for addiction to be a brain disease in the definition of a disease, and it obviously involves the brain, that's fine, but that doesn't stop it also being a matter of choice because choices are made in the brain and choices can be disordered. The only area where I think there is probably irreconcilable disagreement within the field is among those people and there's not many of them to be fair who say that addiction isn't even a disorder it's just a perfectly normal way of behaving and if you take that view it's fine you know you can do that but what it does is it says okay in that case it's not something that it's that we treat because if it's not a disorder we there's no point or legitimacy to treating it Now that, in my view, would be a big mistake because we know that whether it's heroin addiction or nicotine addiction or alcohol addiction or addiction to gambling, that people who have this thing, whatever we want to call it, benefit from treatment. And so if we say, well, there's no point in treating it, We're taking away that way of helping and supporting people. But if we only think of it as a brain disease, if we say, well, it's a brain disease, it's got nothing to do with your environment and nothing to do with all those other higher level uh, social and uh, other factors that come into play, then you're also missing a trick because you're saying, oh, well, if it's a disease in that very narrow sense and nothing else, then we're just going to give drugs or we're going to use surgery or we're going to do the things that we do with diseases uh, rather than, for example, thinking about all those very important population-level public health interventions, mass media campaigns, uh, controlling the price, interdiction, all that kind of stuff. So the key, I think, is to say, well, it's perfectly reasonable to foreground some aspects of addiction, as long as you don't then say it's only that and nothing else.
0: Speaking of it's only that and nothing else, is there something specific about taking a substance that means that addiction to a drug, to alcohol, to tobacco, to heroin or to whatever, is in some way fundamentally different to a compulsion or a harmful need to gamble or a desire that's so strong to look at your mobile phone constantly that you lose your interpersonal relationships or that kind of thing so is it possible to be addicted to things other than substances and if so is there a difference in that type of addiction
1: in principle, I don't think there is a difference. I think in principle, if we think about the definition that I, I just gave, then that could apply to any behaviour. It just so happens that it mainly applies to uh, drugs. And I think there's a reason for that. It's not, a, it's not a reason in principle. It's just an empirical observation, which is that drugs bypass the normal processes psychological and behavioral processes that control our behavior if you take a drug like nicotine for example that i'm familiar with it's a very clever you know little drug because what it does is it acts as like a parasite on the motivational system Um, and the the brain didn't evolve ...to cope with that and, and it didn't evolve to cope with drugs like opiates and stimulants and so on. Uh, and so we don't really have a good defence mechanism against that kind of input. The brain evolved to deal with stimuli coming in through the senses and then uh, working out what was a good idea, what was a good thing to do, what was a bad thing to do. But when you take a drug that goes straight into the brain and affects the brain physiology, it can bypass those checks and balances that exist to deal with normal environmental stimuli. And so nicotine does that, and opiates do that, and stimulants do that. For example, people think of, again, in the old-fashioned view, as uh, addiction involving tolerance. So you become more accustomed to the effects of the drug. You need a larger dose of the drug to get a particular effect. That's true for sedative drugs. It's not true for stimulants. Stimulants, you actually get sensitization. uh, So that in taking the drug, the brain hasn't kind of figured out how to deal with it. And when you take it, the next time you take it, or within the same uh, binge, if you like, you're actually getting an even bigger effect. And that effect is driving the compulsion then to do it again and again and again. So each of the drugs has different properties which uh, affect the pattern of use. But ultimately the reason why drugs seem to cap- capture our motivational system so well is because they go straight in you know, through the, the, your veins or your mouth or your lungs and they, they're not engaging with the normal environmental stimuli that, we, uh, that we're adapted to.
0: But in terms then of effect, can you see a difference in the brain between addiction to a substance versus addiction to um, gambling for example
1: Yes, you can see a difference, but then you can see a difference in the brain between addiction to alcohol and addiction to nicotine. And people get very hung up on this. It always amuses me when say, oh my God, look, there's some some difference in the brain as a result of this. Unless you take the view that somehow the brain is not involved in everything we do, you're always going to see a difference in the brain. So this is sort of... uh, uh, a red herring, uh, if you like, I mean every time you see something there 's a difference in the brain, so the key question is what 's the difference, and are there commonalities and to be fair, there are commonalities and Uh, I think it would be fair to say that in terms of our understanding of the physiology of it, that dopamine and the uh, mesolimbic dopamine pathway seems to play a pretty critical role. We're not absolutely sure what that role is, but we know that it plays a role because we know that if you mess around with the brain of animals, which are not allowed to do with humans for obvious reasons, but if you mess around with the brain of of animals with their capacity or the functioning of that system you can very strongly influence their susceptibility to addiction to particular drugs so the brain is involved definitely there probably is some common pathway but there are also major differences
0: in theory if your criteria that you set out at the beginning were um, met could you be addicted to anything
1: in theory yes yes And that's fine. You know, it doesn't dilute the concept of addiction because in practice we don't. To be fair, even the the drugs that we think of as most highly highly addictive, most people who start taking that drug don't become addicted. So quite clearly addiction is not a necessary property of a drug. It's an interaction between the drug, the characteristics of the individual who is exposed to it, And, of course, their environment. And that has been well established, famously, with the study from the Vietnam veterans coming back, uh, having been apparently, to all intents and purposes, addicted to drugs while they were out in Vietnam. And then when they came back into their old environment, um, it turns out that many of them were able to stop using it. So the environment plays a key role. And I think understanding that addiction is a product of the, the behavior or the drug, the individual and the environment is critical, not only to the science of it, but in figuring out what we do about it. Because it may be, even if something is really highly physiological that, or appears to be, that changing the environment is the best route to dealing with it.
0: So you edit the journal Addiction. What's the most unusual um, addiction that someone has submitted a paper about to the journal?
1: Well, there is the famous case of the carrot addiction, uh, which I guess probably is the most unusual. One thing. Oh, well, that sounds rather odd and idiosyncratic. Actually, it was quite serious because the person was suffering from vitamin A poisoning. Because and they were orange, <laughs> you know, it was pretty serious for that individual. Apart from being, you know, a, a bit quirky, what it tells us is again talking about this this sort of tripartite model. The, the product or the addictive agent, the person and the environment, that uh, in theory you could have something like carrots, which someone might be- show every evidence of being addicted to, and it's good to treat it as an addiction, not to treat it as just some silly thing that they're doing, because it's serious. Um, the fact that it's very rare means that we're not norm- you know, we don't normally think of carrots as an addictive substance. But we, we do need to be on the lookout for rare cases like that and be ready not just to you know, scoff at uh, people who seem to have an addiction to something we don't think ought to be addictive.
0: And what can that tell us then? What can these rare cases tell us?
1: I think they tell us that the brain is very complex, it's very, very sensitive to environmental stimuli and it's very easy for the brain to go down crazy pathways if, the, if it doesn't get what I, what I like to call balancing input. You know, we think of ourselves as pretty stable creatures in an environment, but we're not. We're actually highly unstable. It's a stable environment that keeps us going. We have our reference points and we have our checks and balances. But you take away anyone's checks and balances and we can go off the rails quite quickly. Um, And so I think we need to recognise that these special cases can tell us about the ways in which our environment can push us in one direction or another, and that without our reference points, without our our checks and balances, and without things to keep us sane, you know, we're all potentially vulnerable.
0: So to come back to talking about substances, there's kind of a division that lots of people see around substances of things that are legal or licit and things that are illicit and when we're talking about harms we think of addiction to illicit drugs quite often but actually things like alcohol and tobacco are very dependence forming or addictive substances aren't they
1: they are and if you look at any epidemiological uh, study in pretty well any country you will see the uh, that the, it is the legal or licit drugs primarily nicotine and alcohol which are causing the most harm to the population and these are legal these are licit
0: and is that just a facet of that they're used by more people or is there are there other factors at play as well
1: I think it is largely because they're, le- because they're legal, so they're used by a lot of people. I, I, I think that is probably it. Because if you take something like nicotine, for example, uh, well, nicotine is an interesting case because, of course, the drug itself is not usually the thing that's killing people. It's the way that people use it that's primarily uh, uh, the problem here. Um, but it's the, it's the nicotine that people get addicted to. is killing something like 7 million people <laughs> a year worldwide. And even in countries like the uk that feel that we're getting it under control where we've got the prevalence down to uh, you know around 15 percent uh that's still you know like one in seven people who are doing something which if they don't stop is going to lose them 10 years of life expectancy because a lot of people do it these things are are causing a huge, vast damage to our society. But of course they're legal. And the fact that they're legal also means that you get huge vested interests. You've got the tobacco industry, you've got the alcohol industry, and all the associated industries that are all lobbying like crazy to enable themselves to stay in business and to and, and keep their business going. Um, but then when you look at illicit drugs and particularly the opioids, it's very clear that the drugs themselves can be extremely dangerous. And and the life expectancy of someone who is an opiate addict is severely curtailed, uh, and you know there's a high risk that they'll die of overdose. So there's the risk to the individual user, and then there's the aggregate risk in society. I think risk to individual user is probably greater for drugs like opiates, but, but harm to society greater for the illicit drugs.
0: And I think it's also worth mentioning that there are other harms that are increased because of the illicit nature of drugs. So, for example taking them in unhygienic ways and that's a particular problem with um, injecting drugs um, but also like white powders not knowing what's in them not knowing how strong the dose is all this kind of thing the what the benefit of licit drugs is that they're regulated and you you buy a pint of beer and you know how many units of alcohol are in it whereas that's not the case with a lot of illicit drugs well that's, with all illicit yeah, drugs yeah
1: you're absolutely right of course and the fact that they're illicit causes harm in so many different ways all the ways that you mentioned Plus all the the damage in terms of the the, uh, the operation of the criminal justice system on these individuals, uh, and and you know people need to know that most people who get into difficulty with illicit drugs, these are not people who have a wonderful, healthy, happy existence and life prior to taking the drugs. In literally most cases, there are real, real problems in their lives arising from their childhood, an amazingly high prevalence of, of being abused as a child, uh, real problems with psychological and psychiatric difficulties. So, so you know, thinking of, uh, of their problem purely in terms of the fact that they're taking a drug um, is, is missing a huge part of the picture.
0: Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is we publish this journal called Addiction. So we've been talking about the concept of addiction, how it's quite hard to define. But is articles about addiction the only thing that addiction publish or how how does that work? Well, we like to...
1: Uh, be at the forefront at the cutting edge of uh, science and uh, I think we take a pretty broad view about what kind of articles we would take and we would take articles even about things that we wouldn't normally think of as addiction if they can tell us something interesting about addiction so for example if someone were to write an article around uh, a behavior related to consumption of high calorie dense foods for example Uh, uh, and relate it to, you know, draw parallels with addiction. I don't think it would count as an addiction in itself, but, you know, draw parallels with addiction. That would be of interest to us. Uh, We are interested in behavioural addictions, but at the same time, one of the problems we face with the the work that's being done on behavioural addictions is that it's not really getting to grips with... The, the sort of science behind it what we tend to get sent is you know another questionnaire measure showing that you know x percent of people suffer from such and such a behavioral addiction but well, that's not really massively interesting because that is a very movable feast but you know studies looking at um, mechanisms what's going on why is it a problem? Is it becoming a problem? Is it becoming more of a problem? Um, how does it relate to other kinds of addiction? Very interested in those. But I think uh, I, I said earlier on, and I, and I stand by this, that this matters to us as a largely applied journal because of the harm that it does. So we're not that interested in things that trivialise the concept of addiction, which I think is really important. We don't want to go down the route of saying, oh, well, you know, everything can be an addiction, because what it does is it lets the real addictions, if you like, or the ones which cause maximum harm off the hook and the tobacco industry loved that you know they they finally had to admit that you know cigarettes were addictive but then they would say oh well coffee's addictive and you know butter's addictive or they felt that that left left them off the hook and we mustn't do that
0: fabulous well speaking of movable feasts i think it's time for us to go and have dinner but um thank you very much professor robert west thank you and there we go do join us next month for more addiction audio episodes and if there's a topic you'd particularly like us to cover then please do let us know bye